Well, thank you, Daniel, and uh, thank you, worship team, for those songs. Man, didn't you just want to say yes and amen, amen to every verse? Uh, it was incredible. And thank you, uh, hamburger team. I want to say yes and amen to those. That was amazing, right? And uh, I mean, what a what a great night of just fun and fellowship and and food. And now I hope we're going to continue with some more food, some spiritual food uh, from the Word of God. And as Daniel said, uh, a testimony that I'm going to share. Um, so to start tonight's session off and to sort of set the atmosphere or the mood or the, the ambiance or the flavor of what we're going to be looking at, let's all go back to a verse that Daniel mentioned last time. It's the second verse in your Bible, uh, Genesis 1-2. So if you have a Bible turn there, most of the key verses we'll have on the screen behind me. If you don't, either way, just follow along. Some of them we'll read through. Some of them we'll just talk about. But in this verse, we see that right before God created the heavens and the earth, you see what his spirit was doing? It says it was hovering over the face of the waters. And I want us to think for a moment about that word hovering. And when you think about hovering, what does that conjure up in your mind? It should be a sense of tremendous power and a sense of tremendous expectation that something huge is about to break out. And that phrase in Hebrew was actually used to describe, and some of you may have seen this in your backyards, it was meant to describe a, an eagle or a hawk hovering over its nest, how they would jump up and flap their wings like this to, to keep a few feet above the nest, to keep all the predators away from, from their young. We use the phrase hovering to describe what a helicopter does, right? As, as um, where with the power of air brought around by the big rotors going like this and, and thrusting the air downwards, a huge metal airship weighing thousands and thousands of pounds carrying men and troops and equipment can be lifted up into the air. Now, some of you are here, I look you're like you're about as old as I am, which is sad, I guess, but we're all getting that old. But we're one day closer to heaven. But so those of you that are at least that old, maybe a little bit younger, how many of you remember a movie from the late 70s called Apocalypse Now? See a show of hands? Okay, good. So this illustration will work with some of you, and I'll explain it to the rest of you. Well, this was a movie came out in 1979, a Francis Ford Coppola movie about the Vietnam War, and it begins with this awesome, awesome scene of dozens and dozens of Huey helicopters hovering over the jungles of Vietnam with the music uh, Ride of the Valkyries playing, and I, I Yes, I'll try to hum it. It's that thing that goes dun 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 You know that song? I'm, you see why I'm not on the praise team. But anyways, there, that song is playing in the soundtrack just as the helicopters are about to take off on this secret mission to attack the enemy. And it, it's just an overwhelming, awesome scene. Well, that is what the sense is of this word here. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters of the formless earth as something really big, namely creation, was about to break forth. And darkness, man's greatest enemy, was about to be turned into light. And it is with that understanding of the Holy Spirit that we need to begin our study tonight. Because he is here with us in this room in our midst with tremendous power that is about to break out to clear our minds from darkness concerning our understanding of him. So let me pray if I could. Father God, we thank you so much that you've sent your Holy Spirit to us, Lord. We thank you that as we learned last time in your word, Lord, um, he is our helper. He is the spirit of truth, and he came to guide us in all the truth, and he came to bring to our remembrance all that you have said. So Lord, we pray that he would do that tonight. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just lift the scales from any of our eyes, things that may be blinding or um, our understanding of him or giving us misconceivings of him, Lord, that, that any of that might be set aside, that we might come to know your Holy Spirit, Lord, in a new and deeper way tonight uh, and to know him in that way that Daniel spoke of, to experience him as well as to know him theologically. Lord, um, give me clarity in my words. Give um, everyone here clarity in their ears so that we all might receive your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last time, you remember that Daniel taught us through John chapters 14 through 16, which is the most complete 
exposition on the Holy Spirit in your whole Bible, right from, from Jesus himself. And in there, you saw that over and over again, Jesus promised us that when he left this earth, that he would then, and, and went back to heaven, that he would then send his Holy Spirit to his followers to live inside of them. And you see, this was something that had not been seen or experienced by Old Testament believers because sin had not yet been fully and finally and forever paid for so that we could now be seen by God as holy vessels into which he could place his Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, there are numerous verses which speak of the Holy Spirit as coming upon a person, but only for a time, and it was in order to accomplish a specific work of God. I'll give you a few examples we'll run through. We don't have the verses for them, but you might mark some of these down if you want to look them up. We see it in Exodus 31.3, when the Spirit comes upon an artist or a craftsman, and I know there's some artists here tonight, I know Michael's a, a resident artist, but comes upon an artist or craftsman whom God had appointed through Moses to be the one to design and build all the articles used in the worship of God in the tabernacle. We see him again in Numbers 11.25, when the Spirit comes upon the 70 elders, and the, you know, there's four of us here, and we really do need the Spirit upon us, but comes upon 70 elders to help Moses do what he was doing in leading the people of Israel. We see it again in Judges 3.10 when the Spirit would came upon a new leader of Israel to turn them back to God. In Judges 6.34, we see it happen to Gideon. You, many of you know that story. In Judges 14.9, or 14.19, excuse me, we see it happen to Samson. Many of you know that story as well. It happened to Saul in 1 Samuel 10.6, and then David at the end of his life describes how this had happened to him in his life as well, and you can find that in 2 Samuel 23, uh, verse 2. But the Spirit, you see, could leave a person back then because of sin, and David spoke of that in Psalm 51.11, one of those three psalms he wrote about his sin with Bathsheba, and he, he says there, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, because he knew that because of his sin, the Spirit could leave him. But with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he now moves from being with a person to being in a person who has accepted Jesus, and he'll never leave you. That's what we saw last time. And that is such a huge, huge miracle that not only do believers get to go to heaven and be with our holy God, but right here, right now, in these bodies, in this place, that same God lives inside of us with all of that same hovering power that he had in Genesis 1-2 and all that sense of tremendous expectation of something great and amazing about to break forth. But tonight, we're going to see something even more. And that is first what is called the filling of the Holy Spirit and then second what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, back to prepositions. Remember Daniel mentioned prepositions last time? Um, prepositions are those things that kind of give us a, a locating word of, of what we are in relation to something. And so what we see in prepositions is that after the Spirit comes alongside or with a person, which is our first proposition, preposition, to lead them to salvation, he then comes in them, there's in, our second preposition, to indwell them, and as we will see in a moment, to fill them up, and then he can also come upon them, that's our third one, upon, with, in, and upon, he can come upon them to literally baptize them into himself. So let's look at a couple of key New Testament verses that summarize this for us. The first is at the end of John 14, 17, and that should be on the screen for you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, who's going to come, Jesus says this, You know him. You know the Holy Spirit. Why? For he dwells with you. He was with them before their time of salvation. But look at this. And will be in you. That's a promise of the indwelling of the Spirit. So there the Holy Spirit is with them. But once Jesus goes to the cross, pays for sin, is resurrected and glorified, now the Holy Spirit can be in them. And then after Jesus is resurrected, he comes back to them. And in John 20, 22, that we looked at last time, he breathes on them and says, receive 
the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, some say that this was just prophetic of what would later happen at Pentecost and that they didn't really receive the Holy Spirit then. But there is absolutely nothing in the text or the context to indicate that this is a prophetic statement. And look, when Jesus says receive something, guess what? It's going to happen. They received him right then and right there. So that was their indwelling when they got saved. And it's important to note that because what happened at Pentecost a few weeks later is entirely different than the indwelling of the Spirit. And that's that second thing we're going to look at tonight, the baptism of the Spirit. So to see a little bit of a foretaste of what that is, we're going to talk first about the filling and then move to the baptism, but I want to give you a little foretaste of it. Let's go next to Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 8. Acts 1, 4 and 5, and then verse 8. Because these set the stage for the baptism of the Spirit. In Acts 1, 4 and 5, Jesus says this, And while staying with them, this is after his resurrection, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. Now look at this. This isn't the indwelling, because they got the indwelling when he breathed on them in the upper room. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the baptism. And you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Acts 1, 4, and 5 is the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 1, 8 tells us that that is when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So again, we've got our three distinct prepositions. With, before salvation. In, which happens at salvation and upon, which happens at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to talk first tonight about what is called the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is seen in Ephesians 5.18, so you might want to turn there or keep, keep your eyes focused on, on the verse we have up there, because it's, it's our key verse on this whole topic in all the Bible. And we really want to unpack this. <laughs> it says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The first thing to note in this verse is that the Greek word that is used there for be filled, it's not a past tense verb. It's not a future tense verb. It is what we would call a present tense, a continuous present tense verb, such that it is referring to a continuous and ongoing thing, not a one time and you're done kind of thing, like the indwelling, which happens once at the moment of salvation. And there are many things that we can do, which we're not going to have time to get in tonight, to help stay filled, but I'll just tell you what some of those are. It's not all of them, but these are some of the obvious ones. Pray. Pray that you would stay filled. As, as we sung tonight, pray, pray for that. Know God's Word and do God's Word. For we'll see, I think, the night we're talking about how to walk by the Spirit, that, that it is our submission to God's will, our obedience to His Word, that actually releases that power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us obey his word. You can serve because every time you take a step of faith to serve or do ministry, to serve God or save others, God's going to come alongside and empower you. In fact, it's a biblical truth that God will never, ever, ever call you to do something that he's not also going to give you the power to do. He would be a very unfair God if he didn't do that, but he's a very fair God. So he calls you to something. He's tugging on your heart to go do some type of act for him. He's going to give you the power to do it. So serve, and you'll, you'll stay filled. Fellowship, good fellowship with other believers that know and walk with the Lord and are led by the Spirit is a great way to stay filled yourself. And then, of course, worship, uh, what we do every time we gather here, is a great way to put God in his place and put our, us in our place and keep us filled with the Holy Spirit. But unlike the indwelling of the Spirit, which is this one-time thing that happens at salvation, which Jesus says lasts forever and is, an on, and is a um, uh, you know, once-for-all thing, this filling of the Spirit is an ongoing process over the life of a Christian. Because although the Spirit is always there inside of us, we, and I think you've all done this, I know I have, we can 
suppress or mask over his work in us with our sin and when we disobey God. And we can enhance his work in us when we live righteously and we obey God. That is why Paul says in another verse in Ephesians, just before this, in Ephesians 4.30, after speaking of all kinds of sin, like anger and theft and dishonesty and, and, and foul language, he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, because all that sin will grieve the Holy Spirit. And parenthetically, remember last time how Daniel emphasized over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he. He's not an it, and he's not a force. This is one of the verses that tells us that. You know why? You can't grieve a force. Can you grieve gravity? Can you grieve electrical force? Of course not. You can only grieve a personal living being. So that word is very significant there. Similarly to Ephesians 4.30, this is why in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Right before telling us to abstain from every kind of evil, a verse later, the Bible says this, do not quench the Spirit. Okay, now that concept of quenching is like throwing water on a fire. You know, you have a campfire and you've got to tamp it down when you leave. You, you throw water on the flames, but those coals are still burning underneath there somewhere. You can't usually get rid of those. Those are going to go on for a while. But with our sin, with our grieving the Spirit, with our ignoring the Spirit, it's like throwing water on him. He's still in there, but those flames kind of shrink down to not much of anything going on. So we can grieve or quench the Spirit, which will make us less filled, or we can obey the Spirit, serve God, do all these things, which will make us more filled. So to understand the difference between the indwelling and the uh, filling, you can think of it this way. You can think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that thing that happens at salvation, as how much of the Holy Spirit do you and I get as Christians? And the answer is all of him at the moment of salvation. And you can think of the filling, though, as how much of you and I does the Holy Spirit have at any given point in time. And you see that can go up and down over time, depending on these various things that we've talked about. So the filling of the Holy Spirit, again, is how much of us, after our indwelling, does he have? And that goes up and down from time to time, as we have, as we have discussed. So let's think next about why Paul uses drunkenness here in this verse. This is going to get pretty exciting. As sort of a reverse analogy of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Well, first of all, obviously, drunkenness is a sin, okay? And as a sin, it will quench the spirit. But the New American Standard uses what I believe is a better English word to translate the Greek word there. Instead of debauchery, it translates that word as dissipation. And see, that fits right in with quenching and grieving. You are dissipating, lowering, lessening, throttling back on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life by your sin, because that's what quenching and grieving does. It dissipates the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is why, by the way, sin is really a double whammy for us, because when we sin and we're unrepentant and won't come out of it, it's not only sin with all the problems that creates, but it lessens the work of the Holy Spirit in us and makes it harder for us to stop sinning in every other area of our life. So we can't compartmentalize sin and say, well, I'm doing fine in all these areas, but I'm going to hang on to this little one here. Because as we hang on to that little one here, it makes it impossible for you to live out God's law in these other parts of it as well. So sin is a double whammy because of its effect on the Holy Spirit. But any sin, as we've talked about, will quench or grieve or dissipate the Holy Spirit in us. So why would Paul pick drunkenness as the sin to use here in this verse? Well, you see, there are lots of times when the Bible and in his word, God is trying to teach us of spiritual, eternal things that we don't know or understand yet. And to do that, he uses physical and material things that we do know and understand and uses them as analogies. For instance, we are told that Jesus is the door. Does anybody really think he's a door, like that thing over here that will open and come out? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something that's an entrance, an entrance to the kingdom of God. And that's why he says, I am I am the way. That's, he is the door. Elsewhere in John 15, Jesus talks about himself as a vine 
and we are branches. Well, he's not a vine. We're, none of you guys look like branches, okay? We're not, we're not that thin. Um, but what he's talking about is just as a branch is permanently stuck in the vine, you and I need to be permanently stuck in him or abide in him, as that section talks about. So that is what um, Paul is using here. And what, he, what he's trying to do is um, explain to us what, it, what this thing of filling of the Holy Spirit really looks like. And so he takes drunkenness because, let's face it, it is something everyone has either done once in their life, or if not, you've seen other people do it in your life. So it's something everybody understands. And he's taking that to help us understand what the filling of the Spirit is. Let me show you how. For instance, this is pretty general knowledge. We will all, everyone here should probably know this. To stay drunk, what does a drunk person have to do? You've got to keep taking in the alcohol, right? Because what happens? It dissipates. It wears off, just like the Holy Spirit. So you have to keep taking in more of, of it. Once the person is totally filled with alcohol and staying filled, and that alcohol is running through the blood in their veins and affecting every cell of their body and affecting their motor functions and their thought processes, and particularly if they're driving a car and get pulled over by a cop, what do we say about them? They were driving what? Under the influence, right. And that's exactly what it looks like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are living under the total influence of the Holy Spirit in every area of your life. And now here comes the really fun part. Just like a drunk person will dare to do and even do things they would never dare to do or do when they're sober, so you and I, as the Spirit-filled Christian, will dare to do and do mighty things for God that we would never think of doing when we're not filled with the Spirit. Amen? So that, that's part of the feeling. There's one more analogy that fits, and that is this. Just as if you're in a room with a bunch of people, most of whom are sober, and one person's drunk, they, he or she sticks out, right? You can tell. Well, a spirit-filled person should stick out. They should be different. There should be a twinkle in their eyes, an excitement about them, a joy about them, a peace about them that isn't in a normal person, that is kind of supernatural. Now, there's one area where this analogy doesn't fit, and it's important to mention that, uh, and that is that alcohol tends to make people drowsy, and they eventually fall asleep, Right? but the Spirit gives you life and fills you with power. So it is different in that respect. Now, I want you to remember the example that Daniel closed with last time of the water in the glass. And we need to talk about what I'm going to show you next is. So Daniel mentioned last time how before salvation, the Spirit is along or with someone, alongside or with to lead them to Christ. We just talked tonight how in the Old Testament he'd come upon someone to help them do a work of God. We've also talked about how when you get saved, he indwells you. The Spirit is in you. He's never going to leave, but he's going to go up and down, remember, depending on how you're quenching or not quenching or how you are obeying. And so you can be filled and filled and filled and filled. Now watch this. What are we going to call this? What, what are we going to call that when, he, when, he, when, he go, when he's overflowing you and now not only fills you up but covers you up and completely envelops you and you are immersed in him? Well, that's what the Bible calls to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And before we begin the theology in this, I have a testimony to make which is largely, or at least begins with a confession. I did not believe in what I'm about to teach you for the first 35 years of my Christian life. And there be, may be many of you here from the same church I was raised in who are just like I was. Frankly, I was scared of this doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And even though I taught the Bible for 25 years, when I would read the Bible and I would show you some of the verses I'm going to show you tonight, I would shamefully just skip over those verses real quickly that said anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that freaked me out. Worse yet, and I'm certainly not proud of this, when I would teach on the Holy Spirit, I would never do what I'm doing tonight and mention anything to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd give you the indwelling and the filling like we've just talked about, but I would never touch this. And I have before, and I will tonight again publicly repent over that omission because I was wrong. I was dead wrong. 
So I want to share with you what happened to me that caused me to believe that in addition to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, both of which I always believed in and taught, that there is also this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he is just pouring out all over you and you are totally covered with him. And it does involve the founding of this church. It actually involves first and foremost the blessing of meeting Daniel and Leah. So I want to tell you a little bit about how this all happened. It was the summer of 2020. Uh, we were a small church, Life in the Hill, about 60 adults. We'd been here 10 years. For three weeks in July, they lifted the COVID regulations on small churches and we could worship together. It was, praise God, it was great. And I get this text. I still have it on my phone from Steve Heffernan. Uh, Steve, are you here tonight? Uh, usually you're, you're here. But anyways, I get a text from Steve Heffernan. I've saved it. Don't ever want to lose this. And it's him introducing me to Daniel. Basically what had happened, Steve had met another surfer who had met Daniel and knew that Daniel was looking for a church to use for his church plan, a church building. And that surfer told Steve, and Steve told me, and, and he knew Daniel, and he hooked us up together. Total, total random act of God, not planned by man at all. So I invited Daniel and Leah and then his two kids to service. Uh, I gave the message that day. I actually forgot the whole last page of my notes <laughs> and so Daniel probably thought this guy's not that good but anyways I, I kind of messed up my ending of the sermon and uh, but anyways I was staying and talking to Daniel afterwards with Benkai and and both Benkai and I just sensed there was something about this guy his seriousness and joyful seriousness as I would say and his commitment to reach this hill for Christ and why God had sent him down here so Benkai and I had lunch with him a few days later for a couple hours up at um, Good Stuff, and that's actually where a lot of the big moments of this church have happened, it's outside at the tables of Good Stuff, so you can think about that when you go up there. And Daniel was sharing with us his vision for the, for the South Bay and for the Hill and why he was here and how he'd been trained at Calvary Santa Barbara, and, and Benkai and I were just raptured with this because it was like, man, we always wanted to do this, but we were volunteer pastors with a full-time side business. We never had the, the horsepower to do that. And so we're thinking, yeah, we want to help this guy. So I convened a meeting of our elders. Um, we had Daniel come share his vision with us. And some of you, a lot of you don't know this, but around 2010 to 13, I was on the board of directors at Eternity Bible College, Francis Chan's college. It was a wonderful time to be around him and people that think like him. And after Daniel gave his presentation, and he left, and we we're going to talk about, do we let this guy use our building? I said, guys, I haven't been around someone that thinks like this and acts like this and has this joy and this passion for the Lord and for, for the kingdom since I hung around Francis Chan. And that's a pretty strong endorsement for Daniel. But I had never, ever seen this since that time. And so Daniel came to us um, wanting to just use our building Sunday afternoons, and we kept talking as elders, and we said... Let's just join him. Let's just be part of this. Let's just do this. And so we reported that back to Daniel, much to his surprise. He was pretty floored because all he wanted was to rent the building, and we would have done that for free. And uh, he calls Santa Barbara, talks to Tommy and Brett, his pastor's up there, and, and they say, Daniel, you know, you're kind of like our daughter we just sent off to her freshman year in college, and you've only been there a few weeks, and you're calling us now and saying, Daddy, I met a boy. And, <laughs> and they're going... <laughs> They're going, man, we got to come check these people out. So, so Tommy and Brett came down, spent a few days here in my backyard. We had lunches together and talked and prayed. I'll never forget sitting here praying with them and, and Janet closing one of our prayers, just saying, Lord, let the adventure begin. And man, has it begun, and it's still going. And so they checked us out, listened to tons of Ben's and my sermons to make sure we weren't heretical and thought we were okay, and gave us the go-ahead to go forward with it. And then this really significant thing happened to me in terms of my understanding of my own need for something deeper with the Holy Spirit. The final morning they were here, none of the other elders could join them for breakfast. They were going to breakfast at a relatively new restaurant in the Riviera I'd always wanted to go to, just dying to go there. So I meet them down there. It's COVID, and you can only sit on the patio. Patio is full. There's a long waiting list. And in my heart, I'm just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I mean, no, Lord, this is not right. I mean, it's been such a great couple days, and I really want to eat in this restaurant. So, and they're all happy and joyful. They're not caring about this at all. So finally, the hostess goes, 
well, you know, we do have some tables in the alley behind the restaurant. We can seat you back there. And I'm thinking, the alley? And, and Daniel and Tommy and Brad are going, oh, that's fine. That's great. And we walk back there, and there's, there's like plastic chairs and plastic tables and cheap plastic plants and funny paintings on the wall and astroturf on the ground. And I'm just boiling inside. And they're sitting down. They're going, Oh, I can smell the ocean air. What a beautiful morning to be out. Isn't the Lord good and this great fellowship? And I'm just boiling inside, and I kept thinking, what is wrong with me? I mean, I felt this big. I was like, how can these guys be so happy and joyful? And I'm not. And I came to realize it's because they'd all been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I hadn't been. And so a few nights later, we went to Daniel's house, uh, the elders of Life in the Hill, talked through theology. It was a wonderful night and dinner. I can still remember almost every part of it. And we got to the Holy Spirit, and we agreed on everything. We got to the Holy Spirit, and Daniel shared this, what he was sharing. Okay, I agree with the, you know, the Old Testament ministry. I agree with the indwelling. I agree with the filling. And then he got to the baptism. And I'm kind of going, eh, I'm not so sure about this. You know, I, I really need to, need to study this. So um, I did. I did a deep dive into it. And um, first thing I did was I, I looked up what men who I really respected in their Bible understanding and their knowledge and walk with the Lord said. Much to my surprise, I found, found that John Piper has believed and taught in the baptism of the Holy Spirit for years and years and years. Hasn't spoken in tongues. He said, I've prayed for years that God would give me that gift, but God said, no, John, you're going to preach. You're not going to speak in tongues, so it's fine. And you're going to see it's not necessarily connected with tongues. I listened to Francis Chan, the one I had mentioned, and found that in 2018 he came to believe in it and even had a service like we're going to do afterwards tonight, inviting people to come and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I found the works of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's about the most conservative evangelical scholar of a generation ago you could ever find. I have one of his books out there that are free for the taking called The Baptism of the Holy Spirit and read how he later in his life had also come to understand this doctrine and believe in it and receive it after having rejected it all of his life. So he also made some interesting observations, which I'll dig into in a moment. He, he said there's nothing in Scripture that necessarily ties this with tongues or any of the sign gifts. And he said that's the reason we never really study this doctrine is because those things do freak some people out. And so we stop. We never go and see is there really a baptism or not. So he says don't look at those first. Look at Scripture and see if there's a baptism. And that's why we're purposely laying this out this way in this series. And he also said the primary purpose you'll see in Scripture and all throughout church history is the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes a people, falls upon a church to give the people boldness for witnessing. That's the primary reason. And guess what? Secondarily, to give them unbelievable joy, the exact thing that I was seeing in these three guys and missing myself. So that led me then to do a deep study of Scripture because Daniel said I, I love theology and love, love to share it. It's getting to know God and who wouldn't want to know that. So I kind of did my own Berean thing. I searched the Scriptures to see if this is so. And after going through the scriptures and reading some of what I'll share with you tonight, I was totally convinced this is real. And I called Daniel. I said, Daniel, I'm, I'm convinced. I believe in this now. I don't, I don't want to study it anymore. I just want to have it. And so we got together up here tonight, Daniel, myself, the elders, my wife, Janet, and prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he fell upon us. And this place was born. And within months, a little church of 60 went to a church of 300. And I believe tonight, if we would all pray, yes, thank, praise the Lord for that. I believe tonight that if all of us here, those who have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would pray to receive the Holy Spirit in that way tonight, you know what? Two more years, this church of 300 will be a church of 3,000, and we'll be planting churches, okay? So this is really serious stuff. It's joyful stuff, and it's true. It works. It happens. And so I've had a resulting joy from that experience. Yes, life's difficult and I have lots of struggles, but I've had a joy in me for the last two years like I've never had before. I've had a boldness and an excitement for the gospel and for reaching the hill for Christ like I never had before. And I've had a desire to keep going on with new adventures with God, like my wife prayed that night, let the adventure begin. And some of you, Daniel shared it with some of you, but you know, I'll be 68 years old this August, and I've had some retirement plans further off in the future, but through a confluence of circumstances, 
I'm actually taking a step of faith, and I'm going to go at the end of this year, I'm going to go from being a full-time lawyer, part-time pastor, to a very part-time lawyer and full-time pastor here, all because I received the baptism of the Spirit. Wouldn't, wouldn't be happening to me without the baptism of the Spirit. So let me share with you now an overview of the Scripture on this so you can really believe me from God's Word, not just my testimony. First of all, we need to define what this baptism is that we're talking about, as well as who is the one actually doing it to us. Because when we are saved, the Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit actually baptizes us into Christ. And every Christian has that. In fact, it has to happen to you or else you're not a Christian. And that is what Jesus is talking about in John 3 when he tells Nicodemus, as Daniel said last week, Nick at night, I thought it was great. When he tells Nick at night, because he comes to Jesus at night, that a person must be born again of the Spirit in order to even enter the kingdom, in order to see the kingdom and in order to enter the kingdom. You have to be born again of the Spirit. That's the Spirit causing you to be born again and baptizing you into Christ. Second, the Bible also makes it very clear, as both Daniel and I have shown you, that every Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So we're not saying, as critics of this doctrine would often say, there, that there are somehow two classes of Christians, some who have the Holy Spirit and some who don't. In fact, like being born again, Romans 8, 9 makes it very clear that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, that indwelling, you're not a Christian. But here is what we are talking about. In John 1.33, when John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, he says this, and this is a key one to look at. He's John 1.33, and it's repeated in the other Gospels as well. I myself did not know him, but he who, meaning Jesus, but he who sent me, God who sent him, to baptize with water said to me, he, referring to Jesus, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, which happened at the baptism of our Lord, this, Jesus, is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is different. Holy Spirit baptizes into Jesus. He's talking about something now where Jesus baptizes us into the Holy Spirit. And as I said, it's mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew and Luke's version of it actually adds at the end, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's important for something else we're going to see in a, in a moment. So this baptism, unlike the baptism into Christ that the Holy Spirit gives us, is going to be a baptism by Jesus into the Holy Spirit. We might say that it's kind of like how Je we say Jesus came into our hearts at the moment of salvation, right? But then John 15, that passage I mentioned earlier, Jesus calls us to come into him and to abide in him. And, in, and so this baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is when we are placed by Jesus into the Holy Spirit who already indwells us and abides in us. You see, when we get saved, we're accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, uh, as we've seen many, many times in almost every sermon. And the Holy Spirit then immediately takes up residence in us, comes inside of us and dwells in us. We don't ask for that indwelling. I, don't, I didn't ask for it when I got saved. Most of you probably didn't either. You, you asked to receive Jesus, but the Bible says you also got the Holy Spirit living within you. It just happens. And many of us as new believers don't even know or understand that that has happened until long later when someone teaches it to us or we, and we learn it from the Bible. But Jesus speaks then in Luke eleven thirteen, another key verse of specifically, Daniel mentioned earlier, of specifically praying to ask God to send the Holy Spirit to us as Christians. Look at it. If you then, who are evil, and we're all still <laughs> you know, prone to sin, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, look at this, to who? To those who ask him. Okay, that's praying to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, this is something else where you are asking God to give you more of the Holy Spirit who is already in you. And we ask all the time for more of Jesus in our lives, don't we? Even though we already have him, and no one sees anything wrong with that. In fact, we would encourage that. And so here we're being told to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even though we already have him. 
Again, the indwelling is having the Holy Spirit in you, but the baptism is having you in the Holy Spirit, or you being not just filled with him, but filled to overflowing, rivers of living water flowing out of you. And then we see in Scripture several places where the Holy Spirit clearly comes upon people who are already believers, exactly what I'm describing, which would mean that they are people who already have the Holy Spirit in them. I'm not going to show you all of them. I've just picked one to go into depth, and then two others we'll summarize. The first one, the one we'll dig into um, more expositionally, is what happened at Pentecost in the beginning of Acts, um, in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. We'll have that up on the screen for you, or you can look at it in your Bible. But in verse 1, it tells us that they were all gathered in one place. And all these things you've got to look at, who is this happening to and who's doing it? So who is the they? Well, it's clearly the disciples. The end of Acts 1 is talking about the disciples. And in fact, that's where they elect the one to replace uh, Judas. So these are people who had already received the Spirit earlier from Jesus when he breathed it on them, as we saw. So they are already believers. But now look at what happens to them in Acts 2, verses 2 to 4. The sound of a mighty rushing wind enters the room. I was struck tonight as we were sitting at the tables. What happened? Mighty rushing wind. And I thought, oh, Lord, this is going to be good tonight because he was blowing the food off of our tables, right? The sound of a mighty rushing wind enters the room. And then something that looks like tongues of fire, it says, rested on each of them. Remember what John the Baptist said in in the other two versions of it I told you? that Jesus would baptize with the Spirit and with fire. And then now they all receive this super filling or overflowing of the Holy Spirit, which is so powerful that we see in the next verses, if you were to read on, that they're all out preaching the gospel to a bunch of foreigners who don't even speak their language, and yet they're speaking the foreign languages that they did not even know or speak. So just like Jesus promised them back in Acts 1-8 that we looked at earlier, they received power for doing what? For witnessing, for spreading the gospel when the Holy Spirit came upon them in this new way and it was different from what they had received when Jesus breathed on them in the upper room. And this wasn't even necessarily the gift of tongues as we would normally speak of it and that so many automatically associate with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you think about it, this was more like a supernatural Siri or a supernatural Google translator uh, in their brains that somehow took the words they were thinking of in their natural Aramaic and automatically translated when it came out of their mouth into all these other languages that the people there could hear, all for the purpose of spreading the gospel. And then, speaking of boldness to share the gospel because of this baptism of the Holy Spirit, remember what happens in the rest of chapter 2. We don't have time to turn there, but again, you can go through these things on your own. Be a Berean, please, like I was, and dig into them. In the rest of chapter 2, Peter stands up with a boldness he had never had before because just a few weeks earlier, he'd been cowering in fear before a little slave girl around a campfire while they're trying Jesus in the building next to him. And now... He preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. And just to bring this full circle and come back to the indwelling of the Spirit that comes at the moment of salvation, go a little bit further in Acts, to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter now says, Peter who's been indwelled, Peter who's now baptized and doing this bold thing, Peter now says to the people that are being saved, look at this, Acts 2, 38, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That is the baptism by the Spirit into Christ for salvation. And then at the same moment, he also says this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens at the moment of salvation. So in one chapter, if you study this carefully, we see people who are already believers and who already have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit living inside of them, have the Holy Spirit first come upon them in a baptism for boldness and witnessing. And then as they go out and witness, we see the Holy Spirit come to new believers to now indwell them. So the distinct and the different existence of both the indwelling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit could not be any clearer. 
There's a number of other examples, as I said, of this in Scripture. And in the interest of time, let me just quickly run us through a few of them before we close without exposing them, uh, as we just did with Acts 2. And again, I encourage you, write these down, go home and read, read through them on their own. And again, these aren't all of them, but something similar can be seen in Paul's own conversion experience, uh, which you'll find in Acts 9. In Acts 9, 1 through 9, Paul has an encounter with Jesus, most of you know this, on the road to Damascus, and he is saved. Which means, what do we learn happens at salvation? He was immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ and received the indwelling of the Spirit living inside of him. In fact, when Paul later in his life, when he's being tried and eventually uh, executed, he tells King Agrippa about this incident years later in Acts 26, 19, and he says that after he had this encounter with Jesus, which he tells Agrippa about, it says, I, I did not disobey what I heard in the vision, meaning what happened to him. He went from being a disobedient Saul, killing Christians, has an encounter with Jesus, and now immediately he's obeying Jesus. And he couldn't do that before because he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. So he couldn't have possibly obeyed unless the Spirit had come into him at that moment of time and indwelled him. But then, three days later, we see in Acts 9.17 that when Ananias prays over Paul, like Daniel prayed over me that night, Paul receives the Holy Spirit, which has to be a baptism with the Holy Spirit because he got saved three days earlier and already had the Spirit living within him. And then in Acts 9.20, same thing. After this event, we find Paul out proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Guess where? In all the Jewish synagogues. Can you imagine a harder place to go proclaim the gospel? But he went with boldness, which is exactly the kind of thing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to do and produce in us. The other one I'll tell you about is in Acts 19, 1 through 7. We're told of some believers in Ephesus there that Paul encountered, who much like many of us as new believers, did not even know. I mean, they were believers. They're called disciples. Did not, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, let alone that he was living inside of them. And as I said, that's not uncommon for, for new believers. And then in verse 5, Paul prays for these ones already called disciples, and the Spirit comes upon them. And then they go out and start prophesying. And here we do see it linked with speaking in tongues, which um, Daniel's going to talk more about next week. Now, I don't want to put any pressure on any of you because what happened to me and what I've just shared with you is something you've got to want. You've got to ask God for it, as Jesus said. But I've given you three examples, very clear ones in Scripture, plus the example of what happened to me two years ago, which was real. Yet I do want to encourage you. I'm not going to put pressure on you, but I want to encourage you to consider praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight because we're going to have an opportunity for you to do that in a moment. We've got a prayer team that I've asked to kind of move off to the sides so we can have, you can talk with people when the band is up here because when you're standing in front of the speakers, it's a little bit hard to, to talk with folks. So if you're part of that prayer team, you could please just get up and, and move over to that part of the church now if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind. Um, and they're going to be there to pray with any of you who may want to do this. And I would encourage you, do not be like me, who for 35 years of my Christian experience and existence had denied and literally, literally ran away from and covered up this marvelous truth that I've just tried my best to teach you tonight. Because here's what I think a lot of us do with the Holy Spirit, which is kind of like what a lot of the Jewish people um, were doing with God by the time of Jesus. Prior to the temple being built, the Jewish people had had amazing experiences with God out in the wilderness. Remember, his spirit would lead them in a big cloud by day, and they'd follow him. And the spirit would lead them by a pillar of fire at night, and they would follow him. But then when they built the temple, God dwelled in that temple way deep inside of it in the holiest of holies with that thick veil or curtain surrounding it. But the Gospels record, this is a section of Scripture that until I understood the baptism never made any sense to me because I think it's giving us a picture of this. The Gospels record that when Jesus was crucified, remember what happened? That veil was torn from the top down. And it doesn't tell us, but I also believe from the inside out because it was God tearing that veil. And you know what happened next? And this is one of those things we all read over this and go, huh, what? The, the Word tells us that when that happened, 
God's power burst out of that place, so much so we're told that the earth shook, earthquakes happened, rocks were split, tombs were opened, and dead saints were resurrected and came out, and they were running around all over the place. Do you ever study that section, or do you kind of read over and go, this is kind of weird? But, but think about it, because I think that many of us have sort of done the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's in us all right. But just like the Jews had pretty much confined God to that little space in the holiest of holies inside the temple with this big veil around him, we also keep the Holy Spirit in a tightly guarded little box. That's what I was doing. and was afraid to let out his power in my life. And just as God's power broke loose from the holiest of holies on the day Jesus was crucified, his Holy Spirit can break loose from that box that many of us have kept us in. Amen? Kept him in. Amen? And when he does that, he can overflow us and he can baptize us, totally immerse us in himself, totally fill us with his power for boldness and for great joy if we are obedient to what Jesus called us to in Luke eleven thirteen, which is to ask the Father to give him to us. So I think the band was going to come up right around now, and, and I just want one more thing to share, and then we're going to, I'll pray, and we'll sing, and we'll let people go and, and do business with God. But here's another way you can think of this, because I've really been struggling asking God to give me some modern analogies for this. And here's what God put in my heart. You know, as Christians, we're kind of like a hybrid car, right? And a hybrid car has both a little gas engine, like 60 horsepower, and an, an electric engine in it that's a whole lot more powerful. In fact, electric engines, if the more you start reading about them and learn about them, and I know some of you own Teslas, are much, much faster than the fastest gas engine race cars. In fact, the Tesla Model S that comes with what they call the ludicrous mode, isn't that a great name, the ludicrous mode, which is that extra giant battery pack, can go from 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds. That's faster than the fastest McLaren, which is the fastest gas car. So it's faster than any gasoline car. And you see, we were born with just a little gas engine inside of us, which is the power of our own flesh. But when we got saved, the Holy Spirit, this amazing electric engine, came inside of us. And he is super powerful, like that Tesla engine in ludicrous mode. So we've got him. We've got him there but most of us are just not using him. We won't ask God to release him. And so many of us are still trying to live the Christian life with this tiny little gas engine of our weak flesh. Well, just like you do in a hybrid, it's time to flick the switch. That's what tonight is. It's time to flick the switch and turn our lives over to the ludicrous mode of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So I'm going to close us in prayer and then as the band plays, the prayer team's going to stay here. And I really encourage all of you to consider going over and praying to receive the baptism of the Spirit. Father God, thank you so much for the giving of the Holy Spirit, for his presence in our lives, Lord, for the indwelling that we get to have you, the God of the universe, with all this hovering power that could bring light into darkness, living inside of us. Lord, we want, a people, want to be a people who stay filled with your Spirit, Lord. We don't want to quench your Spirit. We don't want to dissipate Him or grieve Him. Lord, help us to obey. Help us to pray. Help us to be in your Word. Help us to fellowship. Help us to serve. Help us to worship all the things we can do to stay filled. But even more than that, Lord, I just pray that you would move on many hearts tonight to ask to receive the baptism of your Holy Spirit, that people would want to be filled to overflowing, that they might experience a boldness for witnessing they'd never had before, Lord, a supernatural joy they'd never had before, where they won't get angry standing in line at a restaurant like I did, Lord, that they would uh, just be seen in all the crowds as those that are so filled with you. It's just abundantly obvious. Thank you for making that gift available, Lord. Move in our hearts now that we would obey the call of Jesus to ask to receive your Holy Spirit and that all of this would be for what the Holy Spirit came to do and that is to glorify Jesus. Amen.